right, this is Down by the Bank, a Jacksonville Jaguars podcast, episode 25. This is Corey. Hey guys, what's up? It's Derek. Hey, and uh, it's my first time doing an intro, so uh, yeah, this is, this is JK3. <laughs> it felt good. Did I, did I nail it? Did I nail it? Hey, hey, that's good enough. That's good enough, man. You, you know, we're, we're, we're glad that you're joining us for regular, regular guests. You, you agree to disagree. So that's what we want. That's what we need. So, hey, you bring another added value of opinion to the table as a true Jags fan, not the crazy ones that run their mouth a lot. Right. Yeah. No, that was, that was pretty exciting. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that was a compliment, Derek, but thank you. <laughs> it, it was it was kind of half and half because because I just you know I, I, I'm still I'm uh, I, I am uh, just looking forward to agree to disagree with you. That's all. So, <laughs> well, likewise, buddy. <laughs> and uh, just remember, just to kind of do this at the beginning, we're on uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. And if you guys could leave a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, we would certainly appreciate it. And uh, I know it's been a little bit since we've had an episode. So, uh, Derek, if you want to, you know, explain to the, the crowd out there why we uh, were a little bit behind. Uh, I mean, Bortles misses open receivers, so I figure we can miss an episode. Um, it's just, you know, what it is. <laughs> it, it, it happens. For us, it happens once. For him, it happens once a series. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. All right. That's reasonable, I think. <laughs> All right. Well, one thing that we definitely want to touch on is the Vikings game, uh, another loss. Uh, but first, before we get into the, the X's and O's of the game, uh, let's talk a little bit about the live experience. And JK3, I know you were there. What were your thoughts on all the purple in the stadium? Man, it was like a Prince concert. Man, it was just purple rain. You know, I was expecting to see a hologram of Prince in the pool. Um, I was expecting Apollonia to come off of the <laughs> off of the scoreboard. Man, it was you know, it, it's one of these things where a, a lot of things have gone on in the season. And you know, I get that Jacksonville is a transient town. You know, shout out to all the military. Shout out to everyone that's moved here. And I understand that people are fans of other teams that have moved places. And, you know, our, our team is still relatively young, but that was probably one of the most embarrassing things that I've seen from a fan base yep. to see the entire Southeast, uh, or no, excuse me, North, uh, Northwest or Northeast end zone. I forget the, the end zone by the pools, you know, where, right. where our dedicated Jaguar fans are supposed to be first and foremost. But then that whole visitor behind corner right there. Right. Man, it was, they were doing the little skull clap, you know, they were let's go Vikings, it was nothing but purple, it was, man, it was, it was, it was bad, but, you know, when your team puts on that, that product on the field, you know, that's what you get. Yeah, no, it was, uh, I thought it was actually pretty embarrassing, to be honest with you, I mean, even with the team being that bad, I can't imagine there's another stadium in the NFL that has that many away fans feel I mean it was literally it felt like we were at a Vikings home game to a certain extent to be mm-hmm. honest with you um and uh, I don't know it was kind of disheartening um did anybody know like what it looked like on TV like were the announcers commenting on it at all or oh yeah they they were commenting on it all right they were they were saying that it looked like a big purple cloak had gone over the 
the the teal seats uh, in that was it north corner of the end zone where you do have a lot of visitors, but then it just kept going, like almost to the club seats. Right. It was kind of it was kind of ridiculous, but uh, yeah. What's uh, the uh, what's the the like the group up at the very top who like get good grades and can go to the game? Uh, you know, the honor rows. Yeah, the honor rows is like the only, yeah. <laughs> like only consistent pro Jaguars section in the entire stadium. I felt like, which to and, me again, and they were wearing they were wearing gray. <laughs> 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 they were they weren't even in teal or black. They were wearing gray. Yeah, so, so you're right. Actually, I take that back. On TV, it probably just looked like more Vikings fans. But um, yeah. <laughs> it, to me, it was just more embarrassing to a certain extent because it was the Jimmy Smith induction into the uh, you know the the Jags. Uh, Pride of the Jaguars, and so I don't know. I mean, I I do appreciate the Vikings fans who seemed to be pretty respectful during that whole uh, ceremony that they had at halftime. It seemed like they were pretty respectful of that, and there wasn't a lot of you know craziness interrupting it. But God, I don't know. I just couldn't help but take away just kind of a embarrassment for the fan base. I mean, I feel like even if your team's bad, we're still uh, one city that has uh, the the honor of having an NFL team, I mean, the least you can do, especially when you have one of your best players ever getting put up on the stadium is show up for that game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree, man. It's just, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, it, it's just, it, it's, I don't know if, if Jacksonville is just a, a popular destination because, you know, it's winter in like the Northern half of the, of the, uh, of the States and, if their team has the opportunity to play in a, you know, a tropical climate and, you know, it's not that expensive to come down. I see why people would come to Jacksonville and why they think it would be a great, you know, game. But I mean, man, it's just that, that was, that was embarrassing. Yeah. Well, a couple quick notes. So I was in the, uh, probably the best seats, one of the best seats I've ever had, uh, courtesy of uh, my wife's work. We were down in the, the new touchdown club, uh, thing. I can't remember the assured club or something like that on the Jaguars bench side. Um, Gus Bradley, one thing I noticed about him during the games, he doesn't really interact with many players. It seems like he's kind of just stuck in that same pose, focusing on the field the entire time. And that kind of surprised me. I'd never seen anything up close like that the entire extent of the game. And the, uh, the, the articles that always mentioned Bortles kind of just keeping to himself and to Chad Henney and not really interacting with the other players. I kind of saw that play out the entire game live. It's true. He doesn't really interact with anybody. He better not interact with anybody else. He might catch a, a, a dirty look or something, especially the way he's been throwing the ball. Uh, wide receivers catch radius, man. They, they got to be like uh, an octopus to, to catch those balls. Uh, they're all over the place. Either an octopus or, or Mr. Fantastic. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you, you know, the, the amount of stretching and the amount of, uh, of, you know, just body control it takes to, to catch one of his balls is just un, un, unbelievable. And the fact that, you know, he can, that, that limits a lot of the receivers from getting any, you know, yak yards or, you know, yards after catch or, or anything else like that because they are not catching the ball in stride. They're not catching the ball where they can maybe turn to the outside corner and, and get upfield. They're having to make, you know, miraculous plays like the Marquise Lee play that was on the, uh, on the, uh, on the sideline where he just, I don't know how he contorted his body to one reach back to catch the ball and then keep both feet in bounds. Right. And, you know, it's just, just un- unbelievable, man. Yes, the, 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 the crazy thing is, um, I don't know how it's gotten so bad 
you know, can he not read the defense? Is he partying too much? That's the, 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 the most popular answer right now. He's partying too much. Um, but he didn't turn the ball over against the Vikings. So you thought, hey, he had a good game at 23 or 37, 269 or whatever it was in a touchdown. But it was actually bad. And I'll tell you why. He was only averaging six yards per attempt. Okay. And most people say, well, if you're doing seven, there's QBs with winning records that are doing seven and a half. Six yards and seven and a half yards per attempt, that's actually a big number. A very big number. Mm. I think Matt Ryan leads the league at like 10 or 11, but that's because he's got Julio Jones. Um, he's 31 of 32. The only other QB that's behind him is Brock Osweiler. Oh, and, wow. you know, they're already ready to run him out of town. So I think that speaks a lot. When, you, when you, you're not throwing the ball down the field, you keep checking it down. Because he doesn't see anything. He can't read the defenses. And last year, it seems like he was getting better at doing that. And this year, it's not. It's probably because he's not in, he's not in the film room. He just goes home and what, does what he does. One of the things, too, that also frustrates me, um, and, and this does have to go back to that throwing motion where everyone is, is saying where he's regressed so much. But, you know, Blake is a, is a pretty big guy. I mean, he's he's got a lot of Roethlisberger comparisons. And it's not just something that people are throwing out there. He's a pretty above average, you know, guy. He's, he's pretty big. And the fact that a lot of his balls just get batted at the, the line of scrimmage or he, ha- or he has to settle for the, 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 the flat, the out route that's in the flats from the running back or, you know, the, the check down route with the running back that'll run and kind of do just like a little hook in the middle of the field. And he can't go downfield is, you know, it's attributing to a lot of that. I mean, he's just not being able to read the defense. And then when he does throw the ball down the field, I don't know if anybody else does this, but I hold my breath because <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be a pick or if it's going to be an outrageous catch or if it's going to be a hospital ball. One thing, one thing, because, you know, he had 37 pass attempts in that game, which seems obscenely high. Um, you know, what, what's the deal with the running game at this point? Offensive line is just bad. Okay. It's just bad. Um, the culture has changed. If you notice when we had, uh, and I can't even think of his name now because he's been gone for a while. Olsen, um, is the OC. If it wasn't working after about eight or 10 runs, they just stopped running it. Um, now with a uh, Hackett, he's at least still continuing trying to keep the defense honest, hmm. but it doesn't work when your guards don't even make it on their pulls. Like they don't even make it around the corner. They get tripped. They get held up or blown up. Um, and then if we do make it and get around somewhere, TJ Yeldon, he's so used to getting hit. He's still dancing once he gets past the line of scrimmage. Now I don't blame that really on him. I blame it on the fact that he's used to getting blasted two yards behind the line and having to do something spectacular to get out of it. But yeah. You know, the O-line is just bad. And they're like, oh, Chris Ivory's out. They ain't got nothing to do with it, man. Nothing to do with it. Our offensive line is terrible. Yeah, I I, I second that because you can take a look at, um, you know, the best offensive line in football right now is the Dallas Cowboys. Yep. And um, I'm pretty sure either one of us could line up behind that and take a veer right or a, or, or, or a sweep and – take it for at least about five yards because those guys are not only getting on their blocks, they're getting off their blocks and they're blocking downfield. 
They're getting to the second level of defense, which is where your linebackers are. And then at sometimes, if, depending on what type of the play they're running, you know, you, you'll have, uh, you know, some guys that make it down to that third level of, uh, uh, of the defense. And our offensive line isn't getting off the first level. And most of the times where Chris Ivory, uh, and, and the times that he has flashed or TJ has flashed, it's been because of their talent um, and the, their ability to make someone miss or their ability to run somebody over or just someone whiffing on the play, not because of the offensive line. What do you guys think looking forward, I mean, at this point, just because of the record to the offseason, like what are the biggest things that we can improve on on the offensive line? Like what, I guess, because, you know, because I just, I don't look at that as much during the games. Like what, you mentioned the guards. Is it the guard play? Is it just the whole unit as a whole? Is it talent? Is it, you know, the offensive play calling? Like what do you attribute it to? So those guys, uh, one, the first and foremost, your offensive line has to believe in your quarterback, your leader, and they don't. Okay. Beecham supposed to be, you know, really good pro bowler, whatever. When he was in Pittsburgh, comes right. down here, says he's going to take Joko's spot, and he pretty much did. But then he's getting worse as the season goes on. Bad play can spread. It's bad plays like the flu, and it's spreading. That's the first thing. Second thing, you got to create some competition on the O-line. It's got no depth. Hmm. So you got five guys, six guys. So they know, hey, it's whatever. They ain't going to bench me because they ain't got nobody else. So I'm going to just do what I do and then get my check and go home. Well, yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, I think Beecham is, is one of the guys that, you know, has kind of gotten off to a rough start, uh, because he had the, in, he was coming off of the ACL injury, um, from Pittsburgh. And, um, I think more important, importantly, I think it has something to do with the, with the guards. I mean, I think AJ can is, uh, is, you know, he's exceptional. I think he plays great. That right side of the line is, you know, a lot of, that's where a lot of, that's where Parnell is where you don't hear his name being called, or is Parnell on the right side or the left side? He's on the right side. uh, Yeah, Parnell's on the right side, and then, you know, Cam's on the right side also with him. It's that left side, that blind side, which is, you know, where where your higher-paid book-in guards and tackles are going to be. And I think that's where a lot of our our problems, you know, lie. Shatley's been great um, up front also. But I, I think it's that left side that we gotta that we gotta get get right. But and you like you said earlier, it, it's all about you know believing and that intangible you know momentum and that want and that will. You, you know you can't measure that, you can't sell that, you can't bottle it up and say, all right, here's a can of will. You know it's gonna cost you seven ninety five and it'll last you for like four quarters of football. You gotta understand and want and be able to grow together as a team and be able to come together and play for that next man beside you. That, that's, that's what it's all about. And when you don't believe in, you know, your running back, your quarterback, your offensive scheme, you know, whatever, one chink in the armor and then it's shot. Mm-hmm. Well, and Chris Reed and Shatley were not starters. So, I mean, you know, again, back to the depth issue, I don't know how many people would consider them quality starters the remainder of the year, but obviously that's not probably the ideal situation that the Jags want. Um, what about the, uh, wide receiver play? I mean, we know Marquise Lee's kind of been our, our standout, but again, just another week, I, you know, Hearns was, was injured, but another week where, uh, you know, maybe, uh, Allen Robinson's, uh, not again, putting the numbers up that he did last season. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, in, in light of uh, different uh, events that have happened, you know, today, you know, rest in peace to, uh, you know, uh, Craig Sager, um, you know, one of the great color men of the, uh, the, the uh, great color commentators of the uh, NBA and loud suits and everything else like that, you know, lack of better terms, I'm not going to use the word cancer, but A-Rob is a thorn in the side of the Jaguars. Um, you look at a lot of your, um, your, a lot of your receivers and they have been, you know, your prima donnas, your more outspoken ones and things like that. That culture, you know, that doesn't help your culture. It doesn't help spread team unity. It doesn't help, you know, spread the, the message or the culture that you're trying to create. It's one of the signs of someone that's losing the locker room, and it's also a sign of the effort that he, he's willing to put in. And I think whenever someone wants to be able to continue to come out to fans and continue to complain and gripe and things like this and, and move forward, that creates a stigma, and it isolates yourself from the actual locker room. You know, you're becoming in part of the problem and not the resolution. Yeah, it's... I said it with the alarm. Say it with the receivers is just bad. The chemistry is awful. Um, they don't. The other day when uh, in the game when Walters caught the touchdown catch, the first guy to Walters was Lee. Right as the cameras cut, I couldn't see it, but then when it came back on, you saw a Rob went up to him, said something to him, you know, like gave him a pat on the head. So they were sticking together. I didn't see Bortles. Maybe someone, you know, JK3 or, or Corey, y'all were at the game. I didn't see Bortles go over there. I didn't see anything. No, no, I didn't yeah, see him. No. no, at all. At all. So chemistry is just as important as talent in, in the National Football League, and they have none. Marquise Lee said, well, he's got some chemistry with Marquise Lee. Look what he's doing. Marquise Lee's trying to get the heck up out of here. That's what he's trying to do. So he's going to he's gonna shine because he's still continuing to give effort. So being a thorn in the side with A-Rob, yeah, he's not giving any effort. He's just going after a couple throws, which are probably nine feet in the air. He's got to double back and try to pull a Odell Beckham to come down on the ground with the ball. Uh, well, yeah, let I, me ask you. Let me ask you about that actually, because one thing, and you guys will know better than than me, but why does it seem like they only have like a couple different plays that they run with with Allen Robinson? Like, there's always that play that they try a couple times a game, which just doesn't seem to work like it did last year, where they send him down the sideline, just kind of chuck it up and expect him to grab it and, and go after it. I mean, that is it just me, or is that just not as effective as it was last year? Are they looking for that now? Should they change it up? Well, they're 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 not looking. Well, it's not effective because last year, even though a majority of the stats that Allen Robinson put up, and and you know, I'm not taking anything away from the man. He did go to the Pro Bowl. He was an alternate. It's not like he was a first choice for the Pro Bowl. But then again, the things that he's doing is on tape. When you're putting that on film and you're putting that on wax, people can go by and take a look, go back and take a look at it and say, all right, this guy really does have some talent. You know, so we know that the Jags have this talent. If we cover this guy with our best corner and then put a, a shade of a safety over him and double coverage him, now we're going to make you beat us with a Marquise Lee, which is why Marquise Lee is out eating right now. We're going to try to make you beat us with a tight end. You know, granted, if Julius Thomas or Mercedes Lewis, you know, uh, oh, Julius Thomas, for, for example, if he worked out, then he would be having a career year also. So, He's gaining that attention and that double coverage that your number one receiver is going to get. And 
that's why he's just basically disappeared. Remember, before the season started, what did I say? Safeties are going to play back. Teams aren't going to give us those back shoulder throws. They're not going to let you go deep. They're not going to have Hearns on the deep post, on those skinny posts. They're going to take all that away. They've about taken Hearns out for the season because they've obviously known that if you hit him hard enough, he just folds and just can't, you know, he, he he's not healthy enough to come back. And I, I said it was so imperative to work on short yardage passing game and running the football. We see two and eleven, yeah. two and eleven. A lot of the uh, a lot of the hype about A Rob earlier this year was in training camp. You know, I, I don't know about you, know, you guys, but I watched a lot of the training camp videos and a lot of the things. And granted, it is just shorts and, and helmets, and you can't really you know judge that. But a lot of the fan base was getting just super hyped because he was, you know, he was destroying Prince Amukamara on double routes. Um, he was destroying Jalen Ramsey, a.k.a. a rookie, you know, in, in, in some <laughs> double routes and things like that. So, of course, everyone's getting excited. They're saying, oh, man, A-Rob is going to be back. A-Rob's going to be doing this. He's going to be doing that. But then when it comes down to it and you paychecks on the line and when you're putting your job on the line, it, you know, he, it's just not there because of the coverage that he's seeing every, every week. And, and that's on coaching, too. They should have taken last year's plays and scrapped them and worked all offseason on things that are different. You have to constantly recycle yourself uh, in the NFL. It, 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 I don't know why they didn't even think. If we're sitting here as fans and we know that, why did they not think? They're like, oh, we can do the same thing. You know, Blake, just, you know, go out to California, throw with the guys, get your QB coach, come back. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to be a lot better. No. <laughs> we were terrible. <laughs> Man, every week this is such a negative. <laughs> it just seems, seems like there's not. One other thing, <laughs> just to pile on. Special teams. So we had, um, I guess, the first, uh, what was it, like delay of game on a kickoff in like 10 or 11 years or something like that in the NFL. Um, 18. Is it 18? (laughs) 18 years. So, I mean, you guys tell me, like, especially on that play, I mean, how does that even happen? Like, isn't that like one of the more simple, you know, setups? (laughs) Easy. The Jags struggled to cover them. All day. Now, granted, Cordell Patterson, he, he, I think I got the name right. Is it Cordell Patterson? That's right. For the Vikings? Cordero or Cordero, yeah. Whatever. He, he's run multiple kicks back. And you could tell because they were, um, especially on the 51 yard, the Vikings didn't do anything special. It's all three phases of the game. Our punting is bad. Kicking is bad. Coverage is bad. Jason Myers just, you know, he was making some, you know, long field goals. He was doing well this year. And then last game, he just kind of reverted back to his old self. So special teams yeah, is just uh, terrible. Yeah. Um, 18 years ago, the number one song uh, on Billboard was <laughs> Too Close by Next. I don't know if you guys know that song or anything. Yes. It may be. Um, <laughs> Titanic. Highest highest grossing movie. Oh wow, um, that came you know, out. Yeah, that came out in 1998. Titanic came out in 98, and a, and a company that you guys may know um, was was uh, was started in 98. Uh, Google, 
Google. So um, yeah, that, that, that's wow. how long ago. That's how long ago a uh, a penalty has not been called on 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 you know on a kickoff like a delay of game. To to me, a delay of game, delay of game, um, you know, on on a kickoff like that is just something that's just so so undisciplined. You know, you you one thing you got to do is you got to count for you got to count for the eleven men on the field. But from what I heard on the Gus Bradley show on uh, either Monday or Tuesday, I think there was some confusion on if they were going to squib kick it or kick it deep. Either way, that should be something that should be you know set before we're going to go out and kick and then kick it. Not we shouldn't have to wait thirty five seconds <laughs> to decide if we're going to squib it or kick it deep. Yeah, I was looking up the, the, the info on the kick, and yeah, it's 18 years. I, there was the headline of this article, Jacksonville Jaguars are so trash, they got an odd penalty that hasn't been called in 18 years. That's a great headline. I, that's wonderful. Um, so I guess shifting gears a little bit, because that game, it just is what it is at this point. Um, we could, just terrible. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> we can kind of look at the uh, one topic that's actually kind of fun to discuss at this point is the coaching search, as it's going to be kind of inevitable that we make that change uh, by the end of the season. And uh, I know we have a couple candidates to talk about, but one I just want to throw out that sort of just popped up today um, was uh, our old defensive coordinator, former head coach of the Falcons, uh, Mike Smith. Um, what do you guys think about that as a potential head coaching candidate? No. No. Negative. Really? Uh, uh no. You know, I, I don't. I, I think we may have our first, uh, our first disagreement. Yeah. Because no, I like Mike Smith. No, 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 no. Go ahead, please go ahead, and uh, <laughs> I will comment afterwards. But you, you, you're up first, sir. Well, the the reason why I, I now granted, you know, the Mike Smith pick isn't my first choice. It's not a, a sexy pick. You know, it's not going to be one of those things where, you know, it's going to create just all these glorious headlines about the Jags turning the corner or anything else like that. The reason why I like it is because one, everyone can agree that this team is full of youth. Right. Two. We need someone that's coming in and that's a non, a no nonsense kind of guy. Mike Smith is a no nonsense kind of person. He is a type of coach that's literally going to hold you accountable for every play. He's going to make you put your work on film and let the tape speak for itself. Granted, everything that happened in Atlanta, you know, I'm not really sure exactly what happened, uh, you know, what, what led to his dismissal, um, in Atlanta and everything else like that. But when he was there, they 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 had a pretty potent offense. And, well, and I'll tell you, you know, really quick, JK3, one of the things that I was looking at on Reddit, they had posted, somebody had posted on the Falcons uh, subreddit that the biggest issue, because he had a pretty good record for a couple years there, the biggest issue was just interference with the front office and different people, uh, basically just different guys all trying to make the decisions essentially, you know what I mean? So yeah. like he was wanting to, yeah. So I think it was like, he was forced out more than anything just based on the front office. Too many chiefs, not enough Indians. That's exactly what it is. That's all what it boils down to. You need a head coach, someone that's going to come in. And, and the reason why a lot of people are interested in Tom Coughlin, not, not necessarily returning back as a head coach, but returning back as like a VP football operations or, like something like, you know, um, like, 
the way that John Elway has been back in, in Denver and the way that I can't think who went, Parcells went to the Jets, um, was because he has that no nonsense, you know, type of, type of, uh, type of feel to him. You, you know, so with Mike Smith, the Falcons should have at least went to the Super Bowl or won a Super Bowl, but they didn't. Their defense was trash. Now, is that because they scored too fast because of their offense? Uh, I, I don't know. But I'm tired of the flipping back and forth between the Falcons and the Jags. We need something new, something fresh. Uh, Tom Coughlin? Yeah, no nonsense. I'd like to see him as a front office role. You know, see, you know, bring him back. We obviously made a big mistake in letting him go, and the G-Men got two Super Bowls because of it. So, uh, we should, they should thank us. Um, and Mike Smith might have that no nonsense kind of, uh, attitude that we need to, but I just, I, I don't know. I, I, it doesn't sound like a good, um, a, a good, a good stick for me. Um, Josh McDaniels? Uh, maybe, you know, who knows if those rumors are true? Um, well, hold on. So wait a second. So Mike Smith with a 500 record, <laughs> a 500 <laughs> overall record in seven years and, and, you know, reasonably did pretty well up until the end where there's maybe some front office issues. Mm-hmm. But Josh McDaniels, you're gonna, you're no. more in favor of him. No, I'm you, not. You're not just gonna gloss over, you're not gonna just gloss over Josh McDaniels and say, I, I need to hear something. I need to hear why. Okay. And, and, and here, here's why. We need a we need an offensive minded head coach, someone that's going to get in Bortles' head or tell him to get gone and go find someone else. Mike Smith, the defensive guy, and he was on the Falcons, and they were trash on defense, absolute trash. Not just bad, but bottom five of the league trash. And he's supposed to be a defensive minded head coach. At least we can say with uh, Gus Bradley, although as a head coach he's trash. Our defense is pretty. Pretty stinking good. Defense actually isn't bad. They just get left out to dry all the time. So that's why I kind of lean towards McDaniels because of a offensive-minded coach. Now, Tom Coughlin's technically a defensive-minded coach. You know, he had Kevin Gilbride for years run his offense, I think, until the last year. So, but Coughlin's, he, he's been around. He's savvy enough. I just, I don't like the Mike Smith idea as a, uh, as a head coach. So I like Josh McDaniels just because offensive minded, and that's it. I, I mean, you know, I, I think a lot of people think that you know Belichick. They look at him as like you know Darth Vader, and anybody that comes from the Empire of New England is automatically just going to start you know creating these little you know pockets of New England. You know, like mm-hmm. Josh McDaniels may be like. Darth, uh, Darth Maul or, <laughs> or something like that. And Matt Patricia may be, uh, you know, Senator Palpatine or, or, or something like that for all my, my, my Star Wars people out there. But I, I don't want, you know, somebody that's going to come in and necessarily be just a offensive slash defensive. I want someone that's coming in that's looking to, to, to turn around this culture, to turn around it in, in a, in a, in a form of accountability not worry about, you know, what's going on outside of the team and the media, kind of keep the team bottled up, kind of like how Belichick does, because if A-Rob was saying all the stuff about the fans and everything else like that in New England, he would have been gone. 
I need uh, someone that's going to come in and just be a no-nonsense kind of guy and literally hold you accountable for the production that you put on tape. Tape doesn't lie. That's an old football saying for anybody that's ever played football that's ever been videotaped doing anything on a football field. The tape doesn't lie. You know, let's go back, let's watch the tape, and let's see how you came off that block. Let's see how you came off of your routes. Let's see how much effort you gave in blocking when you know that it's a running play uh, and you're a wide receiver. You know, someone that's going to be able to make you be a film junkie and then make sure that you're accountable for the, the mistakes that you make. Well, one of the things that was surprising to me when I looked at that uh, discussion post is that the Atlanta fans, you know, generally have a really positive, uh, you know, idea of Smith after he left. I mean, most of them call him the best head coach they've ever had and all this sort of stuff. But the thing that I like most about him versus McDaniels, like you said, from the, the perspective of a, a little bit more accountability is that Josh McDaniels, you know, one of the biggest things that he was known for in Denver is that he kind of lost respect of the players and the fans. And I don't know, it just seems like we're in kind of like a real itchy situation where with the players already kind of having a coach that they don't feel holds them accountable to bring a guy in who wasn't respected by the players in his last job. I don't know. It just seems kind of, kind of risky. Historically, New England coordinators has not done well. Charlie Weiss, Romeo Cornell, Josh McDaniels, they have not done well. So I'm not saying that because I, I want Josh McDaniels because I think it was a whole Patriots thing. Now, and he losing, he's losing the fans and the players in Denver. That's because Yuck Mouth's in control. And if you know who Yuck Mouth is, that's John Elway. Okay. And he's like a legend there. So he hated McDaniels. He didn't hire McDaniels. Remember that. So when he got there, of course, you know, they are, well, John Elway won us two Super Bowls. He's our legendary quarterback. So we're going to do what he says, you know, forget Josh McDaniels, you know, lead us Elway. That's all that was. It wasn't because of, uh, it wasn't because of uh, talent. I think he didn't get a fair shake, but, you know, historically, Belichick's assistants haven't done great when they branch off on their own. So I was just thinking from an offensive perspective, and, and that's really it. But JK3, I'll agree with you a little bit. You are right. We do need to find someone that brings balance to both sides of the ball, that has a no-nonsense attitude. But I just don't think Mike Smith is the guy. <laughs> I just I can't because Atlanta's defense, they were so bad. So well, bad. Well, I mean, their, their defense, yeah, their, their defense was, was bad. But look how, look how consistent their offense was. So imagine if we had a, a consistent offense. Now, if we – I mean, it's impossible to, to do, but – I mean, if we even had a sniff of that, I mean, I'll take it back to, to where we had, um, Garrard, a, a, con, a consistent quarterback versus the defense that we have right now. I mean, we would, we, we've been in every game that we've played minus Tennessee earlier this year and minus San Diego. You know, we, we haven't lost, we haven't been blown out except for those two times. So if we have a quarterback that's, or an offense, that's capable of not throwing a pick six, that's capable of not going three and out and holding the ball for 12 seconds, that's capable of not fumbling the ball, or most importantly, capable of running a play other than a bubble screen or a screen to the running back. I think we would be in a way different situation if we had an offensive-minded head coach and a way different uh, you know, situation if we had – somebody coming in with a different accountability for the team. Yeah. Well, 
And I'll tell you too, Derek, there's a lot of parallels. Like if you look at pro football reference, Atlanta was pretty awful prior to him getting there. In fact, the season prior to him getting there, they were four and 12 and they went 11 and five, nine and seven, 13 and three, 10 and six, 13 and three. I don't know. Just from that perspective, I, I just want the wins. <laughs> give, <laughs> you know what I mean? You give, you give the, you give this city a nine and 17. And they'll they'll put, they'll put a statue up next to the Jaguar out out in, in Gate One of yeah. this guy. He might he might go in the pride of the Jaguars in his first season probably. Hold on a second. So someone, so, someone comes in here and goes nine and seven. They're going to give him all of Beach Boulevard. <laughs> I just yeah. I, I, I don't know, and I think that um, as prolific as the uh, Falcons' offense is, and I've always said that. If you have a wide receiver that commands a lot of respect, it makes everything so much easier. Um, but it just—I I don't, I don't know. I just can't—I just can't wrap my head around it. And um, we'll see. You know, we'll see. Right now, he's down there in Tampa, uh, running the Bucks' uh, defense. Yeah, how's their defense, by the way? Their defense is is decent. The defense okay. is decent. So, and that's what I'm saying. So as a coordinator, he was obviously he was a good coordinator here. I'll give him right. that. And as a co- defensive coordinator, he's good. But Atlanta just, you know, they went to the playoffs. They won 11, 12 games. They went to the playoffs, won a wild card game. And they'd go play on the road like in Green Bay and get waxed. Or, you know, go play in Carolina, who was like 7-9 and nine and get beat or something like that that one year. So it, it I just, I don't know. I, I can't agree. I'm sorry. I'd like to see someone else. Either either way, one thing that I think everyone can agree with is that the Jags are behind the eight ball, um, especially with uh, L.A. firing Fisher out yes. of yep. nowhere. Yes, they've, yes. Al- yep. they've they've already made they've already made that, and now you know you you got you don't really have you know, the area working for you because if you ask someone who's going to, if you're, you're going to rather move to LA to a huge market team or you come into Jacksonburg. Yeah. I mean, that's what everyone calls it. Jacksonburg, Florida. So, I mean, you, you I mean, so w- which one are you going to go with? You know, so when we are, when we're, when we're waiting till black Monday to, to fire Gus or when we have these rumors, you know, flying around and everything else like that, you guys think we're really going to get, you know, any any other productivity out of Gus Bradley or the team this year? Probably not. He's already lost 47 games. There's three more games left. Going to get to 50, 50 losses, 50 losses as a head coach. 50. That's just bad. That's just bad. And what was the uh, stat that you guys were talking about prior to the show uh, with Belichick so, and? So I think it was uh, Uncle Chaps, that silly guy on Twitter with Barstool Sports. Or someone else might have put it out. I think he just retweeted it. But Bill Belichick could lose 16 games. He can go 0 and 16 for 41 straight seasons. <laughs> 41 straight seasons, and still have a better winning percentage than Gus Bradley. I'm gonna I'm channel my right. inner Barkley here. That's terrible. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny, actually. Um, so. Uh, I, I, that's the I, truth, though, about the LA thing, though. I mean, it seems like Shad Khan's really going to have to get the pocketbook mm-hmm. out and make sure that he spends lots of money. Because I mean, that's the one thing that I think we definitely have an advantage of is maybe we don't have the better market, but we certainly have an owner who's not afraid to spend money. Um, 
Because, you know, it's not going to be cheap to get Coughlin in here as a you know director of player personnel or GM or president of football operations or whatever it is. And to me, it sounds like, and I don't know if you guys are reading the reading it the same way, but it sounds like the Coughlin thing is evidently going to happen. But he'll be there with Caldwell because they're saying that Caldwell's the one who's interested in all these coaches. You know, like he, the rumor today with Mike Smith is because he and Caldwell worked in Atlanta, and then the rumor about McDaniel's was again tied with Caldwell. So those feelers are getting out there somewhere, tying them together. Um, but Shotgun's just going to have to spend money. I mean, that's the only way we're going to be able to compete with that LA situation. I mean, and, it, it, and I don't understand the the reasoning, you know, why um, Gus is still the head coach. I mean, granted, you know, I, I'm not an advocate for someone getting fired. I'm not an advocate for someone losing their job or anything else like that. And I, I'm not here to say that or anything. But, you know, when it's a performance-based business like the NFL and when you are held to that winning standard, I just don't understand why, you know, or, or how it makes things even better hearing the rumor mill start to churn. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, how does that make, how does that make him want to do his job better? Or how does that make him want to do anything or give this, the city or team anything more when he's, you know, he's, he's hearing the rumor mill. And I can tell you right now, Corey, you mentioned earlier, uh, that, you know, you saw Gus kind of just in a, in a daze and just looking. It's because he knows that he's about to go on like an eight month vacation and he's just <laughs> thinking, all I got to do is just make it through this game. I made it through this game. All right. All I got to do is make it through the next game. All right. Maybe the next game. I guarantee you he's got Black Monday, January 2nd circled on his calendar in probably, and probably got palm trees drawn around it and a little bit of sand, a couple of Mai Tais. Everything else like that drawn around it because I mean that that's what he's looking toward. I mean he's not going to get a head coaching job again. No, yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's just a well liked guy. Because I mean, Shot Khan, you can look at Fulham and know that he's not afraid to fire coaches, you know, in rapid succession during seasons. So you know, it's not some philosophical thing that he has that he doesn't like to fire coaches. I just think they're. They just like Gus, and I bet you they just think it's just doing the right thing for him. But I tell you, listening to him get booed in those pregame introductions and everything, God, I feel bad for that guy. Yeah. He gets booed in the, in the pregame, and he gets booed in that little – I don't know how early you, you guys get to the game, but Brian Sexton does like a little um, a little uh, show there in the stadium, and it's kind of just on closed circuit in the stadium. And, you know, he's sitting with Gus on the sideline asking him about the game. Oh, it's a, and Gus is. Oh, it's a beautiful day here in Jacksonville, Brian. We're ready to put forth some great effort. And it's like, <laughs> Gus, come on, man. We know you're positive. We know it. Just tell us that we're gonna go out here and we're gonna try some things. We're gonna put everyone out there. Everyone's still fighting for their job. Everything's for a competition. And just let it be that. Yo, someone should tell him that the Betty Ford Clinic is hiring. And they need some more positive people because that's all that's good for. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. No offense to anybody that's listening that's ever been there and known someone's been there, but <laughs> we, don't, we don't need that. All right. It ain't working. All right. <laughs> the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and you expect different results. 
I definitely am looking forward to if Tom Coughlin speaks on behalf of the Jaguars in some sort of role, those kind of like pissy uh, interviews that he would do in the past. Like I'm actually like kind of craving that now. I want to see that after what we've seen from the animatronic Gus Bradley. It reminds me of like, you know, have you ever been to uh, Chuck E. Cheese lately where they have like the little area where the like big Chucky characters are sort of like slowly moving back and forth playing music. I don't even know if they have that Mechanical anymore. Bears. Yeah, they still got that. Yeah. Man. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's just what I think of with Gus Bradley now is you could just stick a, like a, a mechanical, like animatronic version of him just to kind of say his lines and just let him go home now. I mean, he could just go home now and just put that thing out there and nobody would know the difference. So, <laughs> I mean, anyway. Oh, man. But, you know, we got Houston coming up next. Uh, they're fighting for a playoff spot. We're not. Um, and their whole town doesn't like their quarterback. Uh, we, when we interviewed the one gentleman, one guy from the Houston, uh, fan, uh, fan site. Oh, yeah. Matt Weston. Matt yeah. Weston. Uh-huh. Yeah. He, yeah. Battle Red Blog. Yeah. He, uh, sounds like he really doesn't like, uh, Brock Osweiler. And, and I think that consistent feeling around the Texans nation. <laughs> So, yeah, um, they hate him. <laughs> yeah, but I got I got some my cousins that uh, grew up in Houston. And they, they every week they're like, yeah, you know, punt the ball. We got a better chance of winning than Osweiler trying to throw a touchdown pass. Uh, <laughs> and Osweiler, he's the only quarterback behind Bortles, like I said earlier, in yards per attempt. But I bet you they're still going to win. We, I mean, we already know that, but just it's just bad. Well, I mean, and, and on top of that, Osweiler has. Uh, you know, a couple of guys on, on the team that can create some matchup problems. Um, you know, most of, not, not necessarily, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, everyone knows what he can do, especially when he's rocking a pair of Yeezy cleats. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Will, Will Fuller, Will Fuller, man. I mean, he, he's just, uh, he, he's, he doesn't get as much praise as, uh, DeAndre Hopkins does, but, you know, I, like I mentioned earlier in when we were talking about the Raiders game, the, the, key, the person that you need to watch was uh, was uh, Crabtree. The person that you need to watch in this game is going to be Will Fuller. And I think they need to switch up and put Jalen Ramsey on one of the people that the most productive receiver is. Not necessarily the one that's going to have the biggest name. I don't think Prince should have a problem, um, you know, matching up with DeAndre Hopkins. Just contain him. You know, but uh, we we can't clone Jalen Ramsey. But um, I, Will Fuller, I think he's he's my player to watch. Yeah, no, he, he's a burner too, man. He can really get up and down the field. And um, Prince has uh, definitely struggled with those uh, those vertical uh, receivers that they get vertical on him. Um, just like in the Vikings game, you know, Gibson was there. Obviously, the 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 coverage was you know coming over on that single high, but. Looked like Prince was at least two or three too many steps behind uh, on that play, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah. and plus they, they have a they have a stable of running backs too. I mean, they've got a pretty good two headed running back system there with Lamar Miller and Al- and Alfred Blue. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they're 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 in first place. They're in first place in the AFC South. I mean, that's yeah. all that matters. Uh, well, they've I only mean, won, they've only lost one game at home too, so I just kind of doubt, you know, with them having this on the line with their chances, I, I highly doubt we're going to win this game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not. Uh, it's just one of those. It's just one of those times, guys, where it's the end of the season, and we're all just just uh, looking toward the 2017 draft. 
If Bortles yeah. throws another pick six, I'm cutting the TV off. Well, you, you, you don't don't turn your TV on. <laughs> yeah, I'm all in tank mode. I think you don't try to win the rest of the way and just improve your draft position. I mean, I would play Brandon Allen and just call it a day. You know what I mean? No, they they well, can't do that because it'll 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 crush Bortles. Uh, but what if, what if what if they? I I don't think they will. I don't think they'll play Brandon Allen because what if we have like a hidden gem there. I, I guarantee you Gus isn't going to want to put, you know, something on out there on tape of Brandon Allen and, you know, whether it be, you know, Mike Smith, Josh McDaniels, or, you know, any coach from any any football movie, Al Pacino from any given Sunday or whatever, whoever comes in, they don't want, you know, you don't want to give them the answers to the test already. Right. So I, I, <laughs> well, I'm telling you, man, he's in, he's in, it's in cruise control right now, and we're just trying to bring it home. Well, you definitely don't want to give info out there to Derek's choice, Josh McDaniels. You know, he's really good at drafting quarterbacks, so hey, like finding talent. Hey, so. hey, 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 man. You know, he fought for that Tebow pick. You know that. <laughs> I thought he was crazy, but guess what? He beat Pittsburgh in a playoff game, and you can, you can't take that away. And you know I am not a Tebow fan whatsoever. Okay. But they won. Well, he won more playoff games than than uh, than we have with Bortles. So a wins. A- <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how much of a uh, of a stat that is, or a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that one. It's not that's, about- a, that's one of your cornerstones of your argument. <laughs> no, no, it's not about that. It's the fact that as much as you have talent and and uh, the ability to play the game, what Bortles is six four, six five, right? About two hundred fifty pounds. So it's like basketball when you have a seven footer that wants to sit outside and shoot threes all day. Unfortunately, that's the, what the games become. Joel Embiid, yeah. guys looking nice. It, exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. So if you're seven feet, you better get your butt down low and go rebound the basketball. You're playing. You're not playing to your to your physical capabilities. Bortles does the same thing, like with the pat with the batted down passes. JK three mentioned earlier. You know, why, if you're that tall, why are you getting your passes batted down? Why can't you see over the line of scrimmage? You ever notice when he throws those deep balls, and you're hoping that it doesn't get picked off? You see him jumping up and down, trying to see yeah. if, you know, if it yeah. gets caught or not. He's jumping yeah, so he can see. Yeah. If you're six five, you shouldn't need to jump. You should be able to see that. It's almost like he's hoping and praying. Please, please, please! Oh crap! <laughs> <laughs> it, or, or it could be one of those like nervous jumps, like whenever you're whenever you like playing football in the house and your mom tells you not to, and you throw it, and the ball like just goes, goes like right over that vase, and you're just like, oh, oh, you know, just just like hoping that just that nervous, that nervous, where you know you get a cold sweat over your brow. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, to kind of wrap it up, uh, now that Derek's made his point that uh, the Tebow pick was good and McDaniel oh, should be hired. I say that. Um, <laughs> I say that's not what I said. No, I just said that it would be. I'll take a win over this stuff any day of the week. I don't care how we got it. A win, a win. <laughs> Two of twelve passing. Yeah, I'm real super pumped about that. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> it not have anything to do with Tebow, though, I don't think, does it? Hey, Bortles was, like, one of the top ten passers last year. And what were we, 4-12? and 12? 
What the good did that do us? Anything. I don't care as long as we get wins. I don't care how we do it. Well, I will say, like, the last thing, if is it even an option? Because I read something that, that he might still get an interview. Is Jeff Fisher even an option, or is that just a laughable laughable idea? Mm. That, that would, that would, if we brought Jeff Fisher here as a head coach, especially after the damage that he did to us when he was uh, with, the, with the Titans, mm-hmm. especially after he called this, this his summer home, <laughs> I, I I was I was that would legitimately make me go like Cleveland Cavalier fan when LeBron left and burn all of my Jaguar stuff in my front yard. It would <laughs> literally that would higher. literally do yes yes that would literally push me over the edge. I'm already hanging. I'm on right now. That would push me over right there, and I would go and just oh my gosh, that would be the worst thing ever. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, hey, we're agreeing on something with coaching, man. No, can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a good episode. Good to be back. Um, any final thoughts from either of you heading into Sunday or just in general, uh, on the season at this point? Um, we need to start an episode of talking about our, uh, high draft choice. So, uh, (laughs) think about that next time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just don't want... Are you are you a draft guy, JK3? Do you do draft stuff? You look at all that? Man, nah. I just like to go and you know I like to enjoy watching the draft. Um, I'm I'm a guy that I like to see you know the crazy picks that happen or whenever you think your team's up and then they trade back. You know I'm a fan of that kind of stuff. But as far as you know the analytics of the draft and I'm just there to have a good time and, and drink a couple beers and talk a little mess. That's it. Yeah. Well, I think that could be something we can do a little bit of in the off season. Some some uh, episodes on draft prospects and everything. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But um, anyway, uh, I guess that will wrap it up for now. And uh, thanks again, everybody, for listening. And be sure to leave us a rating and review if you could. And we'll talk to you later. All right, guys. Take care. All right, guys. Take it easy. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.